0: Hey church, welcome to Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Cody Mahaffey and I'm the Connections and group pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So our mission here is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help draw you near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you really are in Him. Good morning, Frontline. Good to see you. Uh, great to have you back with us. If you're watching online, uh, thank you for joining in and, and being with us here. I uh, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving and just, just time together uh, with your family and time to just reflect on this past year and all the things that we do have to be thankful for. I, I know uh, that was this has been a great uh, time to do that for us, for our family. And so today, I just want to wrap up uh, this series we've been working our way through called The Gospel. We're talking about how the gospel is good news for every single person, every single group of people in our world. And then next week, we're going to start a whole new series, kind of mar- marching us through the season of Advent, uh, moving us toward uh, celebrating the birth of Christ at Christmas time. And so uh, to kind of wrap up the series today, I wonder if you're here in the room, maybe a show of hands, if you could, how many of you saw this movie at some point in the last uh, couple of years? Okay, most hands are up. Yeah, if you have little kids, you're like, yeah, I saw that movie like 30 times. And Encanto was a huge movie. If you're watching online, you can let us know in the comments if you've seen it too. Absolutely blockbuster, one of the biggest movies of last year. The soundtrack was everywhere, hits, you know, and everything from that. And so, uh, spoiler alert, I'm about to give away the, uh, the whole plot of Encanto. So if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but I got to tell you, if you haven't seen it by now, it's kind of on you. Like, you had plenty of time <laughs> to go see it. This movie is so fascinating because basically, uh, Encanto is about a multi-generational family all living together in this magical house, and so the whole conflict of the movie is basically the magical house they live in together is crumbling. It's falling apart mysteriously. Nobody knows why. They can't figure out why is the house crumbling. And so really the crumbling house kind of symbolizes the crumbling relationships between the older generation and the younger generation in this home, in Encanto. And so here's the kind of the spoiler alert. The entire movie resolves. Everything is resolved. Finally, when this character, Abuela, who is the grandmother, that's what the word means, and she is the, ma- the older matriarch of the family. When Abuela just finally apologizes to the younger generation, like magic, everything is fixed. The house just goes back to normal. Everything is, is better, and they sing a happy song at the end because Abuela, because the older generation just apologized to the younger generation. If you're an older person, and you were watching that movie, and, and by older, um, let's, well, I'm 45, so let's just say if you were 46 and above, uh, <laughs> um, if you were watching that movie, you, you kind of start at a certain point, it's like, wait a minute, am I a boyla? Like, is that what I'm to take away from this? I'm a boyla. Like, every, if the older generation would just apologize to the younger generation, everything would be fit in our country, in our world, in our families. Everything would just be fixed. Right? It's hard not to be offended a, a little bit maybe you want to talk about more than just Bruno. Let me put it that way. So uh, I recently read this headline. Uh, This is from Pew Research Center, and it says this, young adults in the U.S. are much more likely than 50 years ago to be living in a multi-generational household, like like the home in Encanto, Now, people ask, well, why is that? And certainly a lot of people think, well, part of it is financial hardship that's been brought on over the last couple of years by the pandemic and inflation and rising cost of housing and all that stuff. But actually this trend uh, was happening well before 2020 to the point where more than 20% of all living conditions right now are multi-generational households, multi-generations living under the same roof. Now, maybe you're saying, well, I don't live in a multi-generational house. But, but I bet this past Thursday, or at some point over the last few days, I bet you were at a multi-generational gathering, weren't you? And at some point around the table, for many of us, I'm guessing conversation as it happened, different issues came up, different uh, opinions were offered, and it became clear, wow, the older generation and the younger generation do not see things the same way. In fact, I would just tell you, uh, you know, that in more than at any other time in my lifetime, and I've lived enough— I'm old enough. I have never seen the generational divide as deep and as ugly as it is right now in our world, including even in the church. And so the question that we're wrestling with here to wrap up this series is, how does the gospel speak to generational divides? How does the gospel message speak to to generational divides? And so what we're going to do is we're going to listen in on a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples in Matthew chapter 18. And so what happens is the disciples ask Jesus a question, and it kind of leads to this very teachable moment where Jesus has the opportunity to really speak to this issue, speaking specifically into the generational divides. So uh, let's, let's jump in and look at this together. Matthew 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, "'Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven?' That's the question they want an answer to. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, if if you can, uh, that sounds an awful lot like generational arguments within the church, right? Even even inside the church, which is the greatest generation? Who's the greatest? Is it is it the Boomers? Is it Gen X? Are, are they the greatest? Are they right? Is it the Millennials? Do they have the best perspective. Is it Gen Z? Or is it the alpha generation, this next generation that's supposedly coming up or whatever we're going to end up calling that officially? Which generation is the greatest? Which one is the best? And we argue that all the time. In fact, what you see regularly is that older generations tend to resent. They have a lot of resentment toward younger generations. You hear statements like, oh, they're all just lazy. They're entitled. You know, they don't want to work for their seat at the table. Uh, you know, they, they're obsessed with their social media. their heads are buried in their phones all the time. They, they, and they don't want to, you know commit and, and work to, towards something. You hear a lot of this resentment from the older generation. but then at the same time, on the flip side, younger generations don't trust and, and a lot oftentimes don't show respect to the older generations. Uh, you know, terms like okay boomer become normalized. Uh, quiet quitting has become this almost epidemic, uh, particularly among young people in the workforce as a way of handling job situations. There's kind of this attitude of like, I don't need your experience. I don't need to know what you know. I, I listen to a podcast, so I'm an expert now. I know it all. I don't need you. And what happens is, and I would say on both sides, for older and younger generations, what happens is we're, we're moving toward this sort of cancel culture where we just cancel each other out. Well, if I, you, I don't like you. I don't see things. I don't agree with your uh, opinions on these issues. So I'm just going to cancel you. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to deal with you at all. And what we're about to see in the way that Jesus answers this question is that cancel culture is not kingdom culture. Cancel culture is not the culture of the kingdom and what Jesus invites us into. So let's take a look at this. How Jesus responds. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children. That's what he asked them to do. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So Jesus to answer that question who's the greatest he invites them literally to change and become like little children Br- brings a child right into their midst and says unless you do this unless you change and become now I just want to look at those two words really quickly first of all he says unless you change the word change is the greek word metanoia metanoia when it's mo- most often when it's translated in the new testament it's translated as the word repent to repent And become like little children. Repentance literally means to change your mind or or to change your direction. It means I was walking this way, I was going this way, and then I turned around and I I walked the other way. It speaks to a humility. It's really the starting place for any sort of acceptance of the gospel message. It's, It's a humbling. It's a recognizing the direction I'm going, what I'm doing on my own is not taking me in the right direction. I have to own that. I have to stop and I have to turn around. It says, metanoia, repent Change, And then he says, become like a child. Now, what's funny is what we think Jesus says there in that passage. And it's funny, even if you read commentaries, a lot of commentaries speak to this. We think Jesus says there, unless you change and act like a child. But can I just tell you, we've got enough adults acting like children right now in our world and even within the church. We don't need people to act like children. What Jesus actually says there is he says, change in the languages and become like a child. So what did he mean? What I think Jesus is actually referring to here is a a way of approaching God. It's a way of approaching him, our posture toward him in our relationship. Certainly in prayer, but also in the way that we just see ourselves and the way that we treat others and see other people. He's inviting us into this family relational dynamic of a father and a child. What Jesus is really saying here is so profound as he's saying to his disciples who have been following him, there's actually something beyond discipleship. Can you imagine? They're like, what disciple is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Will you tell us? Which one of us? What kind of disciple? We're, you know, they're all disciples. They're learners. They're followers. Jesus says there's actually something beyond discipleship. Jesus doesn't just want disciples. Jesus wants disciples who relate to God as children. Disciples who relate to God as children, and with God being their Heavenly Father, is what it means to grow as, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. He wants us to literally see ourselves as children of our Heavenly Father, as children of, of God as our Father. And for some of us, that's really hard. Uh, for some of us, to relate to God as a Father is hard. When I was in college, I was given an assignment in a class. Uh, I had to read um, Ernest Hemingway's short story, The Capital of the World. Just out of curiosity, if you're in the room, has anybody ever read that short story, Ernest Hemingway's Capital of the World? Okay, I don't see any hands up. There wasn't any last service either. So I'm about to spoil that one for you too. (laughs) um, I I ended up doing this uh, short story as as an assignment, but it, it actually impacted me so much. I've gone back and I've read it multiple times. And basically the story is about a father and a son in Spain. And the son's name is Paco. And Paco, his dream is to become a matador. He wants to become one of the great bullfighters. But this is not his father's dream for him. In fact, his father felt like that was disrespectful. And so there's this very tense, strained relationship between um, the father and the son, Paco, in this story. And and so finally it comes to such a a head because of Paco's rebellion and his insistence to go and live this life. That In this very broken moment, the father kicks the son out of his house. And years go by. And after a number of years... The father realizes his mistake. And so much of the story is about this father looking for his son, Paco. He's going around and he's looking all over Spain, trying to find Paco. And there's this one scene in the book. I remember the first time I got to it, it literally just like tears like streamed down my cheeks. Because this uh, this moment in this story moved me. Maybe because it reminds me of myself and my dad. But what happens in the scene is the father finally in this act of desperation, he goes to the Madrid newspaper. Can't find Paco, And so he takes out an ad in the Madrid newspaper, and it's going to go all over. And here's uh, what the ad says. It says, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the newspaper office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Love, your father. Paco is a really common name in Spain. And so the way Hemingway tells the story, the next morning the father shows up at 9 a.m. to the newspaper office, and there are 600 young men named Paco, all there waiting to be reconciled to their father. And I think it moves us because there's something in us that goes, That's me too. It's all of us, universally, some, somewhere at the core of all of us, we long to be reconciled to our father. We long for that. People will say things like, I don't know how to relate to God as my heavenly father because I had a bad father. Or I had an absent father, I had an abusive father, so I can't do I can't relate to God as my father. But if I could just humbly say this to you, that's actually not true. Because the fact that you know and are aware that you had a bad father means at some level you know what a good father is. You know what a good father should be. Even the fact that you don't know, you know that you didn't have that means that. See, our hearts know what we need. And the beauty of the gospel message, the beauty of what Jesus is, is inviting the disciples into here in this moment, is he's saying, look, that's what you get in your heavenly Father. You get that Father that your soul is longing for the most. You get a Father who, he didn't just take out an ad in a newspaper to come find you. He sent his Son in the person of Jesus Christ to offer himself, to pursue you, and to offer himself in a sacrificial death on your behalf so that you could be brought back into the family so that you could be restored to God in a relationship with him. And so Jesus says, you have to understand the way you relate to God, you, you have to relate to him in the kingdom of God as your heavenly father. Maybe you grew up uh, with an absent father. Maybe you grew up with, with an abusive or, or just a bad father who failed you in some way. Maybe for you, what you need to do is go back to that place of innocence again and let God be your heavenly father. I have a good friend who um, he had a, has a really broken story uh, with his father, and his father left at home at a certain point after a lot of just hurt. And he has four; he and his wife have adopted four children. And he says to me, his mantra, kind of like he doesn't, he hasn't seen like a picture of how to be a good dad to them. His mantra is, um, "God, will you just help me be what I needed?" God, maybe you could say that prayer. God, help me be what I needed for my kids. See, God has this power. When we we relate to him as our heavenly father, he, he can bring healing into our lives that our earthly father could never fix or do for us. And Jesus invites the disciples into that. And how that applies to this whole generational divides conversation is we have to come to this place of understanding there's really only one generation in the kingdom of God because we're all children. There's only one generation. Uh, let me say it again because you're not getting it. In the kingdom of God, there is no boomers and Gen Xers and millennials and Gen Z and Alpha. There is none of that. There's only one generation because we all, we're all first generation. We all come in the same way to Jesus, through Jesus as our Savior and we become a child of God. And this humbles us. That message humbles us. It causes us to, to lay ourselves down. And I think what the enemy would love to do within the walls of the church, especially like, you know, just kind of take our cues from the world. I think the enemy would love for us to elevate our generational divides and fight over political issues and all kinds of things and make those the main focus and argue about who's the best and who's right and who's wrong instead of, you know, humbling ourselves and leaning into what are the distinctives of being part of the family of God? What does it mean for us to look more and more like Jesus to the world, not look more and more like our particular generation that we fit into. What does it look like to see ourselves as learning how to fit into the family of God and the kingdom of God in that way? And so here's what I want to do. I want to continue in this passage of scripture. And what I want to do is I want to speak to the older siblings first. Uh, well, we won't use those term. The term generation. I'll talk about siblings. We're all children, right? So we're we have older siblings and younger siblings. So I want to speak to older siblings first. And if you're like, well, how do I know if I'm an older sibling? Again, 46 and above. That's how. Uh, that's who I'm talking to. Um, and next year it'll be 47 and above. Uh, um, and, and mostly the reason I want to talk to older siblings first and then younger siblings is because that's what Jesus does in this passage. So I think we should just do what he does, okay? So, we're just going to follow him. So, this is uh, what Jesus says in verse 6. Speaking to the older siblings, he says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. I love this. It's like mafia Jesus all of a sudden just makes this appearance. I don't know why. I picture him like bringing that little child into his midst and just like, if you do anything to him, a millstone, a millstone was like a 300 pound rock they would use to crush grain. He's literally like, like have it tied around your neck and drowned. He's using hyperbole, but he's basically making the statement like, he takes this very seriously that God takes it very very seriously how we steward our spiritual responsibility to the younger siblings in the family. So that's that's basically the message if you want to go to that. For the for older siblings, steward your spiritual legacy well. That's what Jesus is saying. Steward your spiritual uh, legacy well. Now this has so many implications for the last few years. Uh, Man, maybe you're not um, maybe plugged into church or you're not familiar kind of the broader church culture or anything. But over the last few years, we have seen so many well-known public Christian leaders, people in positions of spiritual authority who have had ministries for years and years and years. We've seen so many of them fall, uh, you know, uh, mess up their lives, blow up their lives, blow up their ministries, just destroy their spiritual legacy. And it's caused... Younger people to kind of point to that and go, see, I knew, I knew it. And it's caused people to walk away and and stumble. There's spiritual abuse that's happened. uh, Trust that's been broken by leaders. Like we've seen all of that happen. And I know what you would say, because I've said it too, and I agree with it. The reason it happens is because we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world, and people are just sinners. We're, just, we're human beings. We elevate these certain people as leaders, um, and we put them up, and we kind of act like, oh, they're just something special. Let me tell you, we're not something special. I'm not something special. We're just human, and we're just as fallible as the next person. But Jesus says, still. He takes that very seriously. We're supposed to finish our race like Paul talks about, finish the race, keep the faith, endure. That's what we're called to. We're called to be marked by a race that's been well won, well run in the kingdom of God. This means a lot to me personally uh, for the stage of life I'm in right now. And I've shared this before. If you're part of Frontline, um, you've heard this. Uh, but when I was 39 years old, I went on a three-month sabbatical and at that point, my big question that I wanted God to speak to me about was, God, what do you want me to do with my 40s? That was my big question. And so uh, God spoke very clearly. And what I heard him say during the course of that, those three months over and over again was, Brian, in your 40s, I want you to be more of a kingmaker than a king. I remember journaling that, writing that down, and that's just what I came home with. And I just started saying it. I didn't even know what it meant. I would get back from the sabbatical, and many of you would be like, hey, Brian, how was your sabbatical? I'd be like, it's awesome. I'm supposed to be more of a kingmaker than a king. And you'd say, what does that mean? I'd say, I don't know. But I just said it in leadership circles. I said it everywhere. And within a year of that time, unintentionally, this wasn't any like, strategy or plan on my part, but you know, within a year, God brought these young leaders uh, around me young men for me just to pour my life into. David Dorner is one of those. And I just began to see myself more and more. That's what God's called me to at this stage of life. Okay, can I just tell you, we're, we're one year into this um, transition where David is stepping in to become uh, the lead pastor uh, of Frontline. And I'm, I'm going to still be around, but but I'm going to be leading as the senior pastor of the network. The Zero Collective was really born out of that that vision that just God spoke to me of, Brian, I want you to be more of a kingmaker than a king. And the Zero Collective is now this this uh, network family of four churches in the greater Grand Rapids area. And each one of those guys, I'm just pouring into their lives, the ones who lead the church and I cannot even believe I'm not on twenty in 2023. My calendar, some of the opportunities I have right now to go and speak into young leaders and their lives, even outside of our network, it, it just is blowing my mind. I'm not seeking it. I'm not asking for it. God, God is just bringing it, and I'm amazed not only that God just keeps bringing young leaders for me to invest in, but I'm amazed that they actually want to hear what I have to say. Because can I be honest? I didn't when I was their age. I didn't want to oftentimes hear what older leaders had to say. And so in the midst of this journey, what I'm starting to discover, what I'm learning is that I think my greatest uh, spiritual impact, my greatest spiritual legacy is not going to be something I do, like a sermon I give or a ministry I start or whatever. The greatest spiritual impact I think I'm going to have in my life when it's all said and done is someone I raised up. People like David Dorner, my four boys, my sons, who I love so much. That's going to be the real legacy. You have a spiritual legacy. If you're a grandparent in this room, don't you dare say, well, all I do is just, you know, I'm a, hang out and be retired. I'm good for free babysitting. No, the greatest thing you will look back and, and have do, did with your life will be someone who you... Gave free babysitting to and invested in. If you're a stay-at-home mom, don't you dare say, all I do is stay at home and change diapers. I'm not doing anything with my life right now. The greatest thing, the greatest spiritual impact you will have will not be something you did. It will be someone you raised up and you invested in. Can I just say this? Nobody gets a retirement pass in the kingdom of God. That's not in there. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's bad to retire. In, in the work world, in the, in the working force, that's great. if you If you're able to retire, if you're able to step back, I think that's completely okay. But I'm talking about in terms of your spiritual legacy, your investment in the kingdom of God, there is no retirement pass. We need you. If you're one of the older siblings, can I just say, if you're coasting right now, if you're stepping back, maybe you've just gotten to a point where you're like, man, I'm just so sick of these younger generations and the lack of respect. I'm sick of dealing with all these issues. Maybe you've just kind of stepped back. Like, I just don't need this at this stage in my life. Lean in, finish your race strong. David needs you to lean in right now. Uh, Younger leaders need you, whether it be serving, whether it be giving, whether it be just offering encouragement and support. Uh, Did you guys know the block? Our children's ministry right now, led by Amanda Alkenbrack, is exploding right now. We have more kids in the block than we've had since pre-COVID. On Wednesday nights, this uh, Cradles of Grace ministry that's happening, we just heard a a little bit about, and the midweek program is happening is just exploding with kids. We need you. Lean in. Lean in. Don't coast. So that's the word to the older siblings, but then Jesus kind of shifts gears and he turns. And really what he says here is to all of us, but I think it has particular application to the younger generation. He turns and he says, uh, Matthew 18, verse 80, mafia Jesus continues here. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. So what Jesus does here is, is he basically turns and he says, look, you don't get a pass at pointing to somebody else or pointing at some other issue. You say, well, you know, it was, it was their fault. Jesus says, you got to take responsibility for your own spiritual uh, walk. If your hand's causing you to sin, you've got to take responsibility for the sin issues in your life. Cut it off. It's better. You're going to stand before God in judgment just like all of us in eternity someday. And, you're not, and in that moment, you're, when you give an account for your life and what you did, it's not going to be okay to say, well, you know, I, I walked away from you, God, because of them. That, the, those leaders, those older people in the spiritual authority, yep, they were bad. They, they set a bad example. They failed. So I had to walk away. No. The, the message to younger siblings here is that your response is your responsibility. My boys know that phrase by heart. They've heard it all their lives. Your response is your responsibility. I'm talking specifically about your response to the gospel message is your responsibility. Yes, there's spiritual abuse. Yes, there's failure. Yes, there's bad examples and and church leaders and people that have hurt, hurt people, but Jesus doesn't allow any of us off the hook when it comes to taking responsibility, each one of us has to personally respond to the gospel invitation of Christ. Every one of us does. There's this phenomenon that's happening right now, especially among younger uh, people in, in the, the church. It's called, is uh, this obsession with what's called failure porn. Has anybody heard that term, failure por- porn? It's referring to, that's the term that's getting used. There's like this obsession with any leader that's fallen, any sort of uh, failure story. It's like, we get obsessed. We want to know every detail. Oh, I just want to hear more and more about that. There's almost this obsession with leaders who have fallen and and bad things that have happened. And what, what Jesus, I think, would invite us into, if you're part of the younger generation, is don't make that an excuse. Don't check out. Because Jesus literally, if your hand causes you to sin, like take it, be all in, be that all in. You don't want to go stand before God and be judged for all of eternity because of what somebody else did that turned you away. Your response is your responsibility. What are you going to do with Jesus? And the good news is he's done all the heavy lifting. He's done all the work. You have a father, a good father who's pursued you in the person of Jesus because he's not okay with any of his children being far from him. He gave his life so that you could be brought in, so that you could be brought into the family and you belong in the family of God. No matter what you've done, no matter what kind of a mess your life is right now. So so here's how I want to close this morning. If you guys could put that, that QR code back up. We just sense that you know, as we've been talking about uh, the gospel message for six weeks now, we've been talking about the gospel and, and, and the message of Jesus. There's some of you watching online right now. There's some of you in this room that, at some point over the last six weeks, you came to this place where you realized, "I believe in Jesus. I believe He is really who He says He is. That He's really as good as He says He is." Maybe, you know, and maybe it was on a Sunday morning during this series. Maybe it was not. Maybe it was like during the week in a conversation with a friend that you just came and you settled that issue in your heart. I believe in Jesus. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was, had nothing to do with this series. Maybe something hard has happened in your life. And God has just revealed himself to you in the midst of that difficulty and that challenge and that pain that he really is real and he really does love you. And you believe. Maybe it was 3.45 on a Thursday afternoon in your office. I don't know. But at some point you came and you said, I believe in Jesus. So all I want to do right now in the next few minutes is I want to lead you in a prayer and just give you the opportunity to just put a stake in the ground and respond. Just tighten that decision down. Make it official. Make it real. Because your response to the gospel message is your responsibility. So... If that's you, I, I want to lead you in a prayer. Maybe you walked away from God. Maybe you walked away from the church, but at some point here recently, you come to this point of like, I'm done running. I'm done. I, I believe in Jesus. What I would love for you to do is pray that prayer. And then um, if you could get your phone out and, and go to that QR code, it's just frontline.gr.com forward slash Jesus. And let us know, just let, tell us that you made that decision. Two reasons. One, we want to pray for you by name. And we do, we do that. We pray for anyone by name who's given their life to Jesus. And then the second reason is no obligation, but we'd love to just send you some information about how to take a next step in your relationship with God and keep following him, because none of us do this on our own. That's not how how it works. None of us can do this on our own. And so we'll send you just some information, no obligation, you can do with it whatever you want, but just stick the stake in the ground, make it official. Would you bow with me? Even if you're online, you can do this as well. Jesus, I just come to you right now. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you came to this earth in pursuit of me, that you died on the cross in, in my place, and you've already paid the price for all my sins. So today I, I repent, I turn, metanoia, I change direction, I come back to you. And today I just confess to you, I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. I can't fix me, I can't fix my life, only you can. And so God, would you make me whole? Would you restore me? And would you lead me? Every day from this moment on, Jesus, would you be my guide? Would you, would you show me how to live as a child of my heavenly father, as a part of the family of God? I just renounce all these things I, I claim, all the rights I would claim to myself. And I, I just surrender myself fully to you. I'm your child in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, if that's you, uh, seriously, you just stuck a stake in the ground. You, Your response is your responsibility, and you've responded. Will you just let us know with that QR code? And um, we're, we're just going to stand, and we're going to celebrate. Uh, would you stand with us as we sing? We hope this message encouraged you to know who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.